I'm excited to preach to you today and to bring a message again from the book of Jonah. I hope you have your Bibles and your journals ready. Trust me, you'll need both today as we take a good look at God's global gospel, specifically the means by which God accomplishes His end. Now, let me review for you briefly. Two weeks ago, we did take the time to understand God's gospel end. And it was this. I'm sure you remember it. His gospel to all peoples and His family filled with all peoples. And God loves every kind of people and He loves all peoples. And this is what He will fill His family with as Revelation 7 depicts. This is a stirring and quite motivating truth and makes us fervent for evangelism and for missions. Today, though, I want us to see the global gospel means by which he accomplishes his global gospel end. All right? We could say it like this. We're going to talk today about the how of the what. If you're tracking with me, just nod. I'll hear you fine. Awesome. Great. Uh, to that end, I read last week a book by William Carey. It's on this very subject. In fact, it's called An Inquiry. It's several hundred years old, by the way. William Carey is one of the beginning uh, movement makers when it comes to missions. A fantastically gifted and empowered man. In this book called An Inquiry, he really explores the very concept of means, specifically as it relates to missions. I want to encourage you to pick up this book. It's maybe 90-ish pages but you will be shocked at what he does in giving a, an overview of the world at that time and its need and, and even uh, documenting various nations and people groups and the amount of their population and what has to happen in order to get the gospel to them. This is hundreds of years ago. I was floored that that could happen. And I'm, I'm so kind of glued to technology thinking that's how we find everything out. I'm like, man, these, these guys were doing it then. It's a fantastic book. It's public domain. You can find it. I would encourage you as you think about God's gospel means to pick this up. It's, it's quite intriguing and helpful. And so our road today as we explore this idea of God's global gospel means is to do three things. I want to say it. That means I want to verbally define it. What do we mean by means? You'll hear the word mean a lot today. I want to uh, see it in the scriptures, and then I want to savor it with you, okay? Let's take that journey this morning. Turn to Jonah 3, would you? And while you're turning there and put a finger there, let me see if I can first of all just say the idea of means with you. I'll just give you some thoughts about the idea, the concept, the term, um, God's global gospel means. When we say the word means, we're talking about an avenue, a pathway, a mechanism, you could even say. I often use the term ordained means as one collective concept. Some use the phrase means of grace, and they even put together God's ordained means of grace. So there is some room here for different 
language preferences, okay? Let me tell you why I prefer the simple phrase ordained means. Uh, again, I'm getting into some preferences here. If I were to step on your toes, just relax. You'll probably step on mine at some point. And we'll still be great friends. When I hear the phrase means of grace without a lot of explanation, I think often we think that um, unintentionally that there must be a, that there's a way to be a way to come to Christ, a, a way to be saved apart from Christ. I don't think anybody intentionally thinks that, but the Catholics do. They consider the Eucharist a means of grace, meaning that that's how God gives. Watch this, salvific grace. But the Bible says that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, period. John chapter 1. And so I personally prefer to only use the phrase means of grace when I'm talking about sustaining grace or sanctifying grace to those already in the church. Because the means of grace to those outside of the church isn't communion. It isn't prayer or Bible study or spiritual gifts. It's Jesus Christ and the church says Amen. That is the sole single means of grace to a lost world. Within the church, there are means of grace in which we access more sustaining grace from God or sanctifying grace from God. Those are listed in Scripture, such as the ordinance of communion, baptism, Bible reading, spiritual gifts, teaching, prayer, and so understand that there, there are several things that fit into this idea of ordained means as well as ordained means of grace. I prefer just the phrase within the church environment, the idea of ordained means. Here's the best way to explain it in a simple way. It's, it's really just a specific ordinary element or function that God uses in extraordinary ways. That's all an ordained means is. In fact, you might want to write that down. It's a specific ordinary element or function that God chooses to use, thus the idea of ordaining, in a supernatural or extraordinary way. Here's the best example. There's so many of these, but one of them is prayer. And you're well aware that you don't inform God of anything when you pray, correct? He's not surprised. Oh, I didn't know that uh, so-and-so was in the hospital. Thanks for sharing that with me in prayer. I had no idea. That never happens in heaven, right? Neither does prayer change God's mind. Prayer changes your heart and aligns it with God's heart. But yet prayer is commanded in the Bible. Why? Because it's, watch this, it's the ordained means by which we grow closer to God. That's what an ordained means is. It's a natural, rather ordinary thing that we do that God is either commanded or uses, and He does so in a, uh, uses it in an extraordinary fashion, such as prayer. Here's another one. I'll just simply mention this. It's, it's the ordained means of a family. Uh, have you ever thought about how ordinary and natural a family is? And can I even use the word routine? Like, could every mom in this room say uh, amen to that? Like, you just fix dinner, you work, you change diapers, and you're up early. I mean, it never ends until about, oh... Mid-teen years, it gets a little easier physically, harder emotionally. At some point, though, they move out. And suddenly, all of that routine, all of that normal, 
everyday grinding stuff begins to blossom in the life of your child. And you see how God used normal, ordinary things in a supernatural way. I think family is an ordained means. So if you're understanding more about what ordained means, a specific function or element that's pretty ordinary, but that God then chooses to use in extraordinary ways, just kind of nod your head and say, I'm getting this. Great. This is what we mean when we say ordained means. Some are in the church and they're specifically listed in Scripture. I call these, this is again, my preferences. These are some things that I've just kind of developed in my own head. I call these particular means. In other words, Scripture itemizes them. Scripture lists them. Prayer, Bible reading, spiritual gifts, teaching, communities are all identifiable disciplines, normal, ordinary things the church should be engaged in, and then God uses them in extraordinary ways. I also think there are providential means. Providential means are ones that are um, more subtle. So particular means are itemized in Scripture. Um, Providential means are more subtle in that God uses things at His discretion. He still ordains and chooses things that perhaps aren't necessarily mentioned in Scripture, but He may use them in an incredibly sovereign, subtle way to get someone's attention. You ever heard someone say something like this? Like, man, I don't know why I'm supposed to be here in church this morning, but I just felt this need to come, and so I just showed up. You ever had that happen? I'm sure you've met someone like that. It's just this, this idea that, that God is drawing them and pulling them. So I see means in those two ways. There are particular means. There are providential means. All in all, they're simply ordinary elements or functions that God uses in extraordinary ways. And I want us to look at two particular ordained means in the book of Jonah to help us understand how God accomplishes His global end. It's in Jonah 3. Let's go to our lab to do this, can we? Jonah chapter 3. This will be somewhat brief. You'll be shocked how quickly I'll work through a number of verses today. Because my goal is, after I've said it, I now want you to see it. Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, which means there must have been a first one. There was. He didn't go, right? But now the second time, The word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Here's a great verse. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh. Good idea, Noah. Excuse me, Jonah. Good idea. He went according to the word of the Lord. Now notice here there's Jonah mentioned twice. We'll just say that that's the messenger in the story. Would you agree with that? Sure you would. He's the messenger God sovereignly chose and ordained. He's the means by which, watch this, the message would get delivered. In fact, could God have delivered his message in some other extraordinary, supernatural way off the bat? All of you should say yes. He could have done something in the sky. He could have done something else with animals. He could have done something with creation. He could have done anything. He's God. But he chose, he ordained that Jonah would be the messenger of his message, that Jonah would call out against the city the message that I, speaking here, of the Lord. So two ordained means we see 
here in this text regarding how God got his truth to the nation of Nineveh, which was in the Assyrian Empire. It was through an or, the ordained means of a messenger and the ordained means of his message. Very simple. I would just make sure that you note in your Bibles, in your journal, these two are vital according to the text. They were vital, they were critical, they were necessary in order for Nineveh to hear the word of the Lord. Wouldn't you agree? Jonah needed to go. We see this in chapter 1 as well. Can we revisit the first time Jonah was called? Again, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. There's the messenger, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Now notice, he does not use the word message in this first call, but I think it is implied in this next phrase, for their evil has come up before, and this pronoun me, referring to the Lord. So the Lord is saying to Jonah, I've got a message for Nineveh because their evils come up before me, and I want you to share it. So I think it's the same message, the same call. What do we see? We see a messenger, and we see a message call out against it, and it's a message from God. Again, let's just make the obvious very plain. These two are connected to Nineveh hearing the message from God. So, so do you see what's happening here? Within the book of Jonah, which helps us and gives us a picture of God's heart for all peoples, His global gospel end, the gospel to all peoples and His family filled with all peoples, we see his means as well. And his means to getting to his end is a messenger and his message. And everyone here says, amen. Quite simple, not hard. But it's also seen in the New Testament. We see this thread of these two ordained means running their way throughout Scripture. Look at Romans chapter 10. This is what I really refer to as the sequence of evangelism. I won't go into great detail here, except notice the last phrase. But in verse 13 of Romans 10, Paul declares this beautiful truth that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah. But then he asks some rhetorical questions, I think, as a way to convict and to move and to motivate uh, these Roman believers towards getting the gospel to all peoples. He says, well, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Notice how he's walking through a sequence of, of, of things that happen in order for evangelism, for missions to occur. How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? Are you following his train of thought here? And then watch this beautiful summary that includes both ordained means that we saw in Jonah. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You're ahead of me, aren't you? Do you see it? Those who preach, say it with me, that's the messenger, the good news. That's the message. So, M and M. That's what's happening here. Notice again, in this text, these are both connected so that people can call on Him. So in both Old and New Testaments, and I could show you more examples, 
But here are just three of God's means of accomplishing his end. Here's how God gets to the what. How does God get his gospel to all peoples and fill his family with all peoples? By his messengers taking the message. Now, can I just make one side observation here before I summarize and essentially kind of repeat myself again? I think it's very interesting. I'm not sure what this says fully, but I've been intrigued by this mental dilemma that when Jonah refused the first time, instead of God saying, okay, Jonah, I'm done with you, I'll just do it myself. And then supernaturally, extraordinarily, making sure Nineveh got the message, he instead focused on getting Jonah right. Isn't that funny? It took him a lot more time, wouldn't you agree? It took uh, it was just a longer process, but there must be something in God's economy there must be something in the heart of God, the mind of God that values and that prioritizes making sure the ordained means are actually doing what they're supposed to do. He values his vessels being obedient. So I hope you hear that and, and realize, wow, God really values the means by which he accomplishes his ends because he could easily bypass and circumvent you and me when we don't obey. You would agree with that, right? Can we just say good theology here? God doesn't need us. He's fully sufficient, transcendent, and capable. He's sovereign to get every bit of his mission done without you and me. And yet, he chooses, he sovereignly elects to work with his family and refine them and sanctify them so that they are actually doing the work that the ordained means are designed to do. So I don't know all that's involved in that discussion, but I've been intrigued that he took so much time with Jonah to get Jonah where he needed to be instead of just kind of bypassing Jonah's rebellion and saying, I'll take care of it. So and don't you love Jesus and, and the Trinity and how our three-in-one God is just so beautifully how he designs, even how everything works within uh, his system and order. So you think about Romans 10, Jonah 1, Jonah 3. Just be aware of this. This is all we're saying today. This is kind of the, the real uh, nut graph of it all. God's message and God's messenger are the means to God's global end. In fact, could you just say that simple phrase with me from Jonah 1, Jonah 3, Romans 10? Let's agree together. God's message... And God's messenger are the means to God's global end. Are there other means? Yes. Within the church and even providentially outside the church, God can use anything. But he has so designed it that the message is to be shared by the messengers. And that's how those who have not heard the message hear it. We could put it this way. God's messenger with God's message is God's global means. I'd rather put it in a simpler way, just a few words even, and we'll do it in an equation format. Here's really what we're saying today. Say it with me. Messenger plus message equals means. Some of you weren't reading that with me. 
Can we try it again? It's very simple. I've worked through three passages really quick today. You're amazed, I know. But it's not hard to grasp really the thread of the Bible's ordained means when it comes to getting God's global end accomplished. It's messenger plus message equals means. That means, let's just put everything on the table. That means you're involved. Hallelujah. You have a role to play. You have a part in this. Because the ordained means by which God accomplishes his ordained end is his message in the mouths of his messenger. I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to leverage you or guilt you. I'm just showing you from Jonah and from Romans two of God's ordained means for accomplishing his ordained end. So we said it, we defined it, we saw it. Now, can we savor it for a bit? Help your pen out, take some more good notes. But let's just understand that in savoring this truth, there are a couple of theological and practical implications that we need to make because it will help us grasp the enormity and the beauty of this uh, concept of, of ordained means, especially these two. Here's the first one. We must understand and realize that the message is itself God's power. In church, I hope your heart um, begins to beat out of your chest as this is unpacked for a few moments. The message is itself God's power. So you're not going with an invented or clever or an ingenious way to convince someone. You're going, watch this, with the power of God. And you're not going with a message that connects to God's power. You're not going with a message that, that um, highlights God's power. The Bible says in Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God. That's why Paul was not ashamed of it. Paul did not say the gospel leads the power of God. He didn't say the gospel is a, it points. He said the gospel is the power of God. So when you share the gospel in all of your frailty and weakness and, and the best you can do-ness, when you and I attempt to cross the threshold and share the gospel, here's what's happening. You're letting the lion out. You're unleashing the power of God. And the gospel will do its work. It lands on the hearts of people. It lands on the eyes of people and does what only it can do. It opens eyes. It changes heart. Even when you're, perhaps your presentation, your verbs, your words, your downs are less than, than best, so are mine. Guess what God's gospel does? What only it can do. It lands and germinates and bears fruit. The message is itself God's power. So can we just for a moment do what we say we do every week? Can we celebrate the gospel that Jesus Christ was sent by God? The second person of the Trinity was ordainedly and sovereignly and from the foundation of the world sent by the first person of the Trinity. Our three-in-one God took the initiative and proactively stepped out of of eternity into time and space to redeem a people unto himself. And how did he do that? 
Jesus Christ lived a life that fulfilled every single aspect of the law, which is what was expected of us, but we can't do that. And so we're condemned under the law. But Jesus fulfilled every aspect of the law. And in doing so, fulfilled the righteousness that God expected, thus qualifying and becoming for us the sacrifice to cover the sins of mankind. As John would say, the sins of the whole world. And Jesus died and offered his blood and body to the Father. God saw it and said, the debt of sin is paid by the righteous Lamb of God. And he stamped paid in full upon sin's debt. And so he raised Jesus from the dead, knowing that he was vindicated, his wrath satisfied. And the Son of God, who became a Son of Man and was buried, was raised again. And for 50, about 40 days, he lived among people, evidentially proving he was God again, just as he was in his 33 years before he was buried. He then ascended. Now he's at the right hand of the Father. He's gathering together all of his elect from the four corners of the globe. How's he doing that? Through messengers who share the gospel, which is the power of God. Man, aren't you thankful for the gospel? Amen. Now, this is why sometimes people are saved through intentionally flawed methods or messengers. Notice my phrasing there. Because all of us are flawed messengers. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree with that? There are no perfect messengers. I'm flawed, you're flawed. But I think there is a difference between flawed messengers and then intentionally flawed or deceitful messengers. Those who preach the gospel knowing their motives aren't right. Paul talked about him in Philippians 1. And yet Paul would say, I'm going to rejoice anyway. Now, why would Paul say that? Knowing that people are preaching the gospel from impure motives on purpose, but he's going to rejoice with that. Here's why. Because he knows that when the gospel goes out, the lion's unleashed, when the seeds are planted, that's the power. And sometimes even through intentionally flawed methods or messengers, the gospel does its work and people are saved. Amen. There's a man in our church saved in the Catholic church. That's a flawed system. It's non-theological. It's unbiblical. It's based on works. And yet within, this is probably years ago, I've known him for 20 plus years, but when he was first born again, there was a man in the Catholic church they were attending who actually believed the gospel and felt like he was to stay in that church and witness to people. I would not recommend that. But that's what he was doing. God used that to save this couple because he shared with them the gospel. And they said, oh. And so then they left the Catholic church, dove into the Bible and began to grow. And they're in our church now and solid. And, and um, you would think if you were asking, well, where'd you get saved? He'd say, I got saved in the Catholic church. He'd say, that's a little odd. Aren't you thankful God uses flawed methods and messengers at times? And how does that happen and why? Because the gospel is the power of God. The message is itself God's power and does its work often in spite of the messenger. I think that's why I love 1 Thessalonians 2.13 so much. If you were to pin me in a corner and say, Todd, what's your favorite verse of the Bible? This is the one I would choose. 
with great deliberation and consternation, I would pick one, right? This is the one. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. I remember the day I read it and it just weighed on my soul. I think I was in junior high, not long after God had called me to preach, probably in the 14 years of age range. I remember the round kitchen table there in Chattanooga and just kind of reading through the Bible and this verse just jumped off the page and it was as if God said to me, this is your job. Here's the verse. Paul says, we thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which effectively works in you who believe. You see, that's my aim every single week is to give you God's word because I can't change your life. I can hardly run my own life. But I can give you God's word to the best of my ability, empowered by the Holy Spirit, hopefully. And you know what changes your life? It's God's word. It's the word that does the work. Amen, church? So let's just make sure we stay word-centered, spirit-empowered. Let the word do its work. Here's the second insight. The messenger is himself or herself powerless until empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is an important observation to make because we're not saying you're powerless, period. We're saying you're powerless until the Holy Spirit empowers you. This is good news. That the message, which is itself the power of God unto salvation, can also be delivered and brought, spoken, by someone who is empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's a powerful combination. That's a dynamic duo. Amen? And so we're not saying that you're, you're powerless forever. We're just saying that you're powerless by yourself. And this is why in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell on those believers, and from that time forward, the Holy Spirit began to fill believers... That's why when they left that room and spoke in all those different languages, they were given the gift of tongues for the purpose of making sure the gospel went to all nations there at Pentecost. That's why so many were born again. It's because there was Holy Spirit-filled messengers and the power of God and the gospel unleashed on all those folks from all those nations. And what began was this incredible um, uh, outpouring of the Spirit upon the hearts of people who became Christians, followers of Jesus, and then they went back to their nations, their homes, and a worldwide expansion of the gospel began to occur because messengers were Holy Spirit-filled, and then their mouths were filled with the power of God itself, the message of the gospel. Remember Acts 1.8? You'll receive power. Now watch this. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses. So often we think about power from the Spirit. Why do we have it? Here's what the Bible says. You have power from the Spirit so that you will be a witness, i.e. a messenger, even if it means to the point of death. The word witness is the word martyr in his most literal translation. Here's what Jesus was saying. You're going to get Holy Spirit power to the extent that you will talk about the resurrection and the living Christ, even if it costs you your life. 
That's a witness. And that is only the kind of witness that that witness can only happen when they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you'll try to save your life at every turn. You'll cut corners. You'll seek the easy road. But when you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, you will speak of Christ, witness for Him, be a messenger for Him, even to the point of martyrdom. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. So, I mentioned this about the message. Let's unleash it, right? It is the power of God. When it comes to the messenger, let's fill it with the Holy Spirit. Paul said in Ephesians 5, be being filled with the Spirit. So on a continuing basis, ask God to fill you with His Holy Spirit so that you are empowered to witness and share the message. Do you see what's happening here? There's a messenger and there's a message. These are God's ordained means by which he accomplishes his end. So church, walk in the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. These are crucial things in your witnessing. I want to push pause for a minute and answer a question that I know people are asking. What does it mean, Todd, to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit? There's a lot of talk and different answers and different ideas. Here's what I think is a very helpful understanding And it's very basic, but it really has worked for me for years. Walking in the Spirit simply means obeying God's Word systematically and spontaneously. Now, there are other ways to describe it. I'm not saying they're wrong. For me, walking in the Spirit is just obeying God's Word systematically. You could even say habitually. So there are certain things that we do regularly, systematically, They help us know God. They're in obedience, and we just do them. They are an ordained means to spiritual growth. They're normal, ordinary, routine things that God uses in supernatural, extraordinary ways. And so we read the Bible. We pray. We memorize Scripture. We study. We get in community. We share our faith. We give. We're generous. We partake in communion. These are all things that we do normally, routinely, to walk in the Spirit. It's obeying the Lord And as we do that, what I've discovered is then when He suddenly and spontaneously calls upon us to obey Him in a moment that isn't necessarily in our routine, we're much more apt to do that. We don't analyze our way out of it. We don't talk our way out of it. We actually say, oh, I'm walking with the Lord habitually and regularly. I'm one of His sheep. This is His Spirit now speaking and leading me to obey in this spontaneous way, so I'm just going to do this now. It's out of the ordinary. It's out of the routine, but I'll do it and obey God. That's walking in the Spirit. It's obeying God's worth both systematically and spontaneously because that's what does the work, the Word. That's where the power is. And the Spirit and the Word work together in the believer's life. Make sure that they are a means by which God accomplishes His end. So these two implications about these two ordained means, they prompt me to exhort you, watch this church, to fill up and speak up. (laughs) Could you say that with me? Fill up and speak up. Here's why. Because you may be the ordained means by which God delivers His soul-saving life 
changing good news to someone who needs it. You're catching the gravity of this now? You may be the messenger with the message that someone on this day needs to hear. So obey the word and deliver the word. Take the gospel message as God's messenger and live for God's mission. What does this look like? Well, as you savor this truth, these texts, consider these stories of means that occurred right in our own midst. It looks like a curious young man who just moved here from Colorado. This is several years ago. He was curious also in a young lady here at FFC. But he found out that the gospel is even more curiously intriguing. He found this out because it's what she was sharing with him in a few weeks, he trusted Christ and believed the gospel. So just ask Mike Boone if he's forever grateful that Joni was the means to God's end in his life. He would say, by all means, I'm grateful. Pun intended. It looks like a first-time guest just a few months ago who was greeted enthusiastically here at First Family as he walked in those east doors. Within this very first week, he was invited to multiple small groups, and he actually went that week. He became friends with some who knew and lived out the gospel, and what he was believing in was not the gospel, though he thought it was. He continued to get to know them, and then one night in a phone call with one of his small group members, she shared with him the true gospel, and he repented and believed right there on the phone. So just ask Javier Lopez if he's forever grateful that one of his small group members was the means to God's end. And he would say, by all means, I'm grateful. Just ask a 10-year-old boy looking at and listening to his junior church teacher share the gospel through, watch this, a flannel graph lesson. Who remembers flannel graph? Yes, it could be a means too, right? Over 60 years ago, he watched a simple visual Bible lesson from Lillian Whiting. And as a 10-year-old boy, he gave his heart to Jesus and believed the gospel. So if you ask Rod Nelson if he's forever grateful for that junior church teacher, he'd say, by all means, I'm grateful. Just ask a couple who called here out of the blue, oh, four or five years ago, because they were unmarried and she was expecting twins. And they knew something wasn't right about that, but they didn't know what to do. So they called our church and just said, is there a pastor available to talk? They'd never been here. They said, we see the sign. We see the warehouse, the building. We need help. They came in. I chatted with them. And when I first met them, they pointedly asked, what do we do now? So I simply answered, get right with God, get married, have the babies, get in a good church. He looked at me and said, uh, how do I do all that? So I started by just sharing the gospel. And that day, Dylan trusted Christ in my office. His wife was a believer, but away from the Lord. And they both got right with God, began to be counseled, got married in a few short days, maybe weeks, had the twins, 
Today they attend a church closer to where they live, a great church in Collins, Maxwell area. If you were to ask Dylan, is he thankful uh, for a pastor that just shared the gospel when he was looking at some tough days ahead, he'd say, by all means, I'm forever grateful. It looks like an older man whose wife had just passed away. She was a Christian, but he wasn't. Really never gave much thought to it, just here and there. But when she died, it became more real to him that maybe there's something, something to this truth. It gave him pause to consider again this reality. So he had more talks with his son who goes here to church. He began attending as well. Sure enough, through the conversations with that family that reiterated and rehearsed what his wife had told him for years, Tom Gable came to Christ, was baptized here just a few months ago. If you ask Tom Gable, is he glad that his wife shared the gospel, that his family continued to rehearse it with him? After her death, he'd say, by all means, I'm forever grateful. So do you see how even a concept back in Jonah's time, repeated in Paul's time, has incredible relevance for us today? God's ordained means for accomplishing His ordained end is you and me. Could He do it another way? Sure He could. He's God. But He's chosen. He's ordained that He use His messengers with His message to accomplish His mission. Across this room, there are no doubt people who could share a similar story. I see your faces. I think of your story. I see Brad Miller back here. The ordained means that God used in your life are amazing. Normal, ordinary things that God used to bring you to faith. Hallelujah. Look through here at some of you who popped into church here and you thought it was an accident. You heard the gospel. You met a Christian and God brought you to faith. Others of you had crises in your life trials, a friend. Here's what I want to say. There may be folks in this room right now who are experiencing an, an ordained means in this moment. You don't really know why you're here. You're like, well, so-and-so invited me. I just came. Whether it's this location, other locations, you think it was a coincidence. I can guarantee you God never operates by coincidences. He ordains all things. And your presence in this location or any of other locations is no accident. And could it be that the reason you're here is so that you would hear the great news that Jesus died for you as the fullest expression of God's love for you. And in repentance and faith, if you'll trust Jesus, God will save you eternally from your sin and from hell and give you everlasting life. If that's you this morning, I would pastorally urge you not to put off what could, is the most important decision you'll ever make, to trust Jesus and follow him. Can we live for that mission, church? Can we be the means by which God accomplishes his end? That's how he's ordained it, I say we lean the ladder of our life against that wall.
and say, Lord, here am I, send me.